Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the .NET on AWS show. I'm your host, Brandon Minnick, and with me, as always, is the amazing Francois. Francois, how was your week? Uh, it was a great week. So, uh, as you may know, last week I was in, in the AWS on-tour bus. So, uh, from Amsterdam to Frankfurt to uh, Zurich. So, um, a, a really great week, a great venue, great event, uh, and great feedback from attendees. Um, we've discussed about all things uh, related to developer and how to develop on AWS. So I was delivering a talk about uh, the AWS Toolkit. Uh, for those who don't know, the AWS Toolkit is an extension that you can install in v Visual Studio, Visual Studio Code, or JetBrains IDs. And it brings AWS right into your IDs to, uh, to increase your productivity. But where, where I was really um, enthusiastic is that we have been probably the first uh, developer event from AWS to showcase live demo from Amazon Bedrock as we released a GA uh, for GA for general availability Amazon Bedrock uh, on last uh, Thursday on Friday we have been able to uh, live demonstrate uh, my, my my awesome peers uh, Bonjo uh, did a live demo of uh, oh uh, as a developer you can leverage. Amazon Bedrock to request a different large language model because Bedrock is all about, about this. It's a fully managed services that allow you to pick and choose one of the large language model we offer to you. So like um, um, Cloud, for example, from Anthropic uh, large model. Uh, so you can just use the SDK. So for, if you are a .NET developer or C-sharp developer, you can leverage our NuGet package uh, that, uh, for um, uh, requesting a Bedrock. And you can just pick and choose between, uh, you can also, if you want to generate image, you can uh, uh, use stability, Stable Diffusion, for example, uh, send a, a prompt, and uh, uh, the large language model will send you back uh, an image. So that's pretty really cool because you, with, only one API, so you only have one API to learn, and you can uh, request several large language models. So, uh, I I've been lucky. I've been uh, be I've been able to play with Bedrock a few since a few weeks, and I'm I'm really enthusiastic uh, as a developer uh, about the experience I will be able to craft uh, in the coming weeks. For example, building a, a chatbot is is so fast. You don't have to get bother with all this utterance and things like this, like we were doing before uh, with uh, previous technology for building a chatbot. So I'm really enthusiastic and I really encourage any uh, developer to test Amazon Bedrock and to play with the different large language model. Uh, that's that's my big excitement from the, for, from the moment. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it is. It's really exciting because, um, you know, like Francois mentioned, if, if you've never heard of Bedrock, um, it seems to be the, at least the only tool I'm aware of that's doing this where it's kind of, you get to choose your own model. So let's say you want to make an app that leverages a large language model. Uh, and for me as a developer, if let's say I want to use uh, GPT, well, I basically have to hard code my app to only work with GPT and their APIs. And if, 
next year uh, and another amazing model comes out or maybe even GBT5 has breaking changes to their API. Like now I have to rewrite all my code. Um, but what, what I think was really cool with Bedrock is it, it kind of reminds me of that old saying, like when there's a gold rush, uh, don't mind gold, sell shovels. And right now there's this race and I love it. I, I can't wait to see where it goes, hopefully in a good direction where everybody's racing to build the next best, biggest LLM, large language model. Um, and, and But in the meantime, uh, Bedrock, as far as I'm aware, is the only service where um, it allows you to kind of plug and play any model you want. So as a developer, I don't want to rewrite my code in the future. So I can basically use the Bedrock NuGet package and uh, easily access my models in my code. And then, yeah, if down the road, the next great LLM comes out and I want to use that instead, no problem. Like I can just change one line, one, one string, one enum in code to say, uh, use this one instead. And my app still works. So it's, it's really exciting. Um, I, I think that is going to be the future because I mean, this is me and, and I'm not even AI guy. So what, what do I know? But I think um, we're heading towards this world where we'll have very specialized large language models. Like this one makes images really well. And this one handles um, phone tech support really well. And they'll they'll start to be very unique and specialized and we'll want to um, be able to leverage those and update our apps as they grow and change and new ones come out and yeah, Bedrock seems like the best place to do it. But man, I will say I saw all the photos, all the videos from your AWS bus tour and was very jealous. I think you guys looked like rock stars going around in this giant, was it, it was like a two, is a double decker bus, two story yes. bus yes, with it's like the AWS decker. logo on the side. You just pull up to the conference and everybody gets out and, giving you high fives as you're <laughs> yep. walking out. So, so cool. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, uh, if uh, people love it, uh, we will do it again. And probably um, in the uh, USA, for example, or, uh, we, who knows? So, yes, <laughs> uh, it's, a fir- it's, a first, it's a first try and, uh, and we can't wait to, to iterate on it. Yeah, that's right. Get, get that bus on a boat. Ferry it over to the U.S. I'll be there. Give me, give me one of those jackets. I really want one of those jackets you guys are all wearing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, very, very jealous. Had a lot of FOMO. Uh, but we also have an amazing guest this week and don't want to use up any more of her time. Uh, you've, you've definitely seen her around. She's a, a Microsoft MVP, software architect, publisher, conference host she runs dotnet days romania Irina, welcome to the show thank you for having me welcome yeah so Irina, thank you so much um a little behind the scenes for folks who may not know is we have to schedule guests and we usually try to do that weeks if not months in advance and we were super fortunate and thank you again Irina, for joining us because we had a guest who had a scheduling conflict had to cancel last minute and I already said, no problem. I'm the best. I can do that in short notice. So thank you so much for coming on the show. But for those who don't know you, who are you and what do you do? Who am I? Software architect around .NET. 
.NET at heart. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it's basically everything .NET and the world around it, as my blog uh, promotes. I write articles, or not as often as I would like, and I enjoy to meet people at conferences. That's the thing that gives me energy and gives me motivation to uh, go ahead and learn new things. And I just created an account to learn about what you said, Francois. So one thing on my list to learn about. I'm very excited about these things because I'm not an AI uh, person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, same. It's yeah, it's funny, you know, with this whole um, AI movement that's going on. Uh, it's a whole know, new world, AWS. With new concepts. <laughs> <laughs> it's everything beyond web and URLs and endpoints and everything. So, yeah, exciting. and so you know, we we want to we want to ride that wave. We want to share uh, how to do stuff, but you know, at the same time, like data developers aren't really like AI developers. Like I've I've never built my own model, and usually you do that in something like Python or R. Um, so it's it's cool to see like. As .NET developers, like we just get to benefit from all this stuff, <laughs> like all these tools that'll like write our code for us, like Code Whisperer, or uh, or like using uh, or being able to incorporate something like Bedrock into our apps. Uh, we just we just kind of get to sit back and watch and reap all the benefits while everybody else fights over we're building the biggest best <laughs> language model and making neural engines and I don't know I don't I don't know enough about AI. But <laughs> Yeah. Don't want to say something that is not correct in terms of AI. I know, right? <laughs> I'm a dot guy. I don't, I don't Yeah. I use AI. But, I don't make AI. <laughs> to, to, to be honest, uh, it's quite amazing. Um, I, I, I'm, right now, I'm playing with uh, this API and uh, I'm using Claude large language model. So, Claude is um, optimized for uh, uh, code generation as well. And you can ask Claude. Uh, can you generate me a C-sharp class that have those properties and this method? And it generates the code for you. It gives you the code. Yes, of course I, I can. And here is the code. And I'm like, <laughs> oh my God. You know how to code. You know how to code C-sharp. <laughs> it knows. It knows how to code C-sharp. And so I, my, my idea was, okay, so probably I could build my own AI companion and I was building a kind of chat uh, extension to Visual Studio just to interact ah, with it. Cool. And I have the code in Visual Studio. Like it was just for fun. But I was yes, I can build my own AI coding companion if I want. That's that's uh, in a few lines token. And I was okay. Two years ago, it would have been uh, like we were all looking looking at this and saying, "Oh my God." It's it is magic. Oh, they are doing this, <laughs> <laughs> and now we can build build it by ourselves. So that's pretty amazing. I think it removes yeah. a lot of the tedious work we would have to do, or at least saves us precious time with generating things for us. And I realize I'm by using code companions, I'm like somehow becoming lazy. See, I need this or give me the closest representation of a, I don't know, person. And it will give me a C-sharp class that has all the properties that are necessary for a person type. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I've always, I've always said a, the best developer is a lazy developer because we find the most efficient way to get it done. <laughs> so Even though you're, you're having actually someone doing... Being better. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, but like, you know, my boss doesn't know that. If they tell me I need to write an app in a week and... Now we'll know. Code Whisperer <laughs> writes half of it for me. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh. All right, so there's, there's one question we love to um, ask everyone that comes on the show. Um, and, you know, you're obviously very uh, well-known in the .NET community, but I'm curious, how, how did you get started with .NET? When did you start writing C-sharp code for the first time? Wow. <laughs> A long time ago, when I was in computer science faculty, we did like Java in one of the mandatory objects. And um, I didn't like anything about Java. I, 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 <laughs> I did like C++ in high school. I loved how C++ felt. And then when I, I stumbled across Java, it was like this ugly ID. We're talking about, like, I don't know, 13 years ago. And everything was way different than it is today. Uh, the UIs weren't that nice. The ID was, weren't that helpful. And I realized that, well, Java has a lot of tedious work to do. I don't like that. I'm lazy. And the alternative at that moment was, was .NET. And it seems to me that Microsoft backing it up is a good alternative. And I started to learn MVC. That was my first web page creating. It was MVC 1, I think. They just released the, the, the framework, the platform to create a separation of concerns around web. And I thought it was nice. Look, you're just clicking a few things and you have a running app without configuring not anything. And it was amazing. Or at least to me as a student, it felt amazing to have something that runs in the next second without you configuring and knowing how to tweak things. It was amazing. So that's how uh, I, I started <laughs> with Microsoft. And uh, I started with Microsoft because back then there was no .NET Core. Everything was tied to Windows. So um, that's right. So back then, I keep speaking I, about a lot of this. People, <laughs> a lot of people still think that's the case. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately. Yeah, like, like oh, I'd, I'd love to try C Sharp, but I don't want to give up my Mac. It's like, uh, I've been only using a Mac to write C-sharp code for eight years now. <laughs> oh, that's, that's so amazing. Yeah. And I, and I know what you mean. Like when you, even when you're starting out, even if you've got 10 years experience, when, when you're writing code and you get it working and you see something, it's the best feeling in the world. And you just, you want to keep going. That's, that's how I know I got hooked too. <laughs> and it was that instant feedback you you got with writing web apps. I mean, I don't even know if back then I knew the difference between a get request and a post request, but I had the thing that <laughs> worked and it had HTML and you could add JavaScript in it. And it was amazing. I mean, it's, it was the next best thing for me as a student back then. Absolutely incredible. Chris, you remember, you remember your first stat? Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> <my> first... <laughs> So the reason I came to C Sharp uh, for me was um, to develop a pen-based interface for Windows XP tablet PC. So I don't know if people remember this, but way before uh, the iPad, uh, there was Windows XP tablet PC. And 
we are speaking a lot about and writing recognition, machine learning nowadays, but at that time in Windows XP, there was already a name writing recognition engine running on tablet, a rigged tablet for field workers. So uh, you could write with a pen and you're and writing. Uh, if you, if let's be fair, if you were writing English or French, it, it would have been recognized, but um, uh, you didn't have full support for all language. Nowadays, it's pretty incredible. Uh, and so I was a PhD student about machine learning and, and writing recognition. And so that's how I started to use C-sharp to leverage their um, Ink API and uh, recognition API and build my own stuff on top of it. So that's how I came to C-sharp. Before I was a C++, like Erin, I was a C, C, C and C++ uh, developer uh, for Windows Mobile uh, and uh, Windows <laughs> Embedded. I don't remember exactly the name. You, you remember this more personal digital assistance with Windows Embedded on it. So it was C and C++. So, so that's how I came to C Sharp. And that's, that was a, yes, a, a nice step. I was, oh, it's, it's way simpler than before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I remember I was, I was in a similar boat as Irene. My, my first language was Java. And so coming over to C-sharp, well, back then at least, was pretty easy because C-sharp kind of had the reputation for like, it's, it's Microsoft's Java way back in the day. Uh, nowadays, it's very different. Uh, C-sharp has improved a lot, new features. Uh, the team iterates on it every year, which I love. Um, but yeah, I remember like starting to learn the C-sharp way of doing things with like um, like properties and getters and setters and just like, this is this is so annoying. Like, why do they do it like this? You know, I can just make a public get blah 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 method and a public set blah 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 method, like I always do. And then you start using it, and you're like, oh wow, like yeah, I'm using way less code now. This is way easier. Uh, why isn't Java doing this? <laughs> so you, you kind of come full circle on that one. Yeah. So, so, Irina, well, well, we'll flash forward a couple of years. Um, we mentioned at the top uh, that you are the founder or owner, organizer, uh, feel free to correct me, of uh, .NET Days Romania, one of the top .NET conferences in the world. How, how did that start? How did you get into that? Wow. <clears throat> five years ago, five, six years ago, uh, we started with the user group. I mean, the user group was way before that. So basically in our hometown, there was a user group around .NET that basically was dead. And I say to the guy that was running it or tried to run it, hey, you know what? It looks like you do not have time or the willing to do that and give it to me. <laughs> and he handed over and together with my colleague Bogdan, we started to do meetups in Yash. And then uh, we realized, you know what? There is no conference that focuses on .NET and the things around .NET here. Uh, we have some other conferences that are more polyglot or Java-focused or front-end-focused, but nothing that is really on .NET. And we said, okay, let's do this. And the first edition was basically sponsored or paid for uh, by the company I worked uh, on at that moment. 
I basically created the budget. We brought local speakers and we invited local uh, attendees. And we had like 80 people. One day conference, one single track, because we, we've seen no point in having more at that moment. And then next year we said, hey, you know what? Did seem very successful. People were enjoying and they stay up late with us. Why don't we go bigger? So let's do one conference that is at Romania's level. So we promoted all over, even in the Republic of Moldova, that is our neighbor here, two hours drive. And let's do this. And I just started speaking. So I had a lot of uh, people that were speakers and they were interested um, into visiting Romania, basically. And I started reaching out to them. And so the first edition, the first edition after that, we were at 400 people with international speakers and people coming from all over Romania to join us. And it was amazing. And then the pandemic came, we did the editions online, we did only workshops. And fast forwarding a few years, we basically had four, 700 people in two tracks in a different location that was bigger. We had people from 32 countries uh, attending our conference. So um, after that, the aftermath is like bringing the community together, make them uh, talk with each other. We're doing games at the conference to, to encourage networking and so on. And all in all, it's having the people that they admire and they are following them online in that stage, in that location. Not it, it, I, What I basically wanted to do is like bring speak, speakers to us, not us go to see the speakers. So apparently it Very was smart. needed. Yeah. <laughs> and selfish. And selfish. <laughs> yeah, like, like, why do I have to travel somewhere else to go see, see the people I want to see? I can just make them come here. <laughs> <laughs> And we're trying to be good hosts <laughs> for speakers and also attendees. Um, we're providing all, all kinds of... We're facilitating basically uh, city tours and stuff. So we we created Yash as the .NET focused community. So if you want .NET com a conference, come here. We have it. So... <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And... And so we, we have the link on the screen. It's uh, .netdays.ro, and we've also put that in the comments. When What is the conference? Uh, I assume next one's 2024? Yeah, it's in 2024, in April, 1820 of April. We're doing workshop before the conference, and the conference is one day with three tracks. We kind of started to split like development, architectures, because people have different interests even though they come from the same background and also cloud and DevOps, which is another, another thing. If you have an en engineering mindset, you kind of touched it all. <laughs> so you might be interested in different, uh, different topics. So we give them the choice of attending in person, uh, the talks that they're, they want. So that's the next year yeah. plan. Let's see how very, it goes. Cool. And, and from 32 different countries. That's incredible. Yep. It's strange. <laughs> yeah. People so, were very, very reluctant. Uh, at first, they say, okay, you're doing it here. It's not the capital of the country. Why 
would someone travel to Yash? Because Yash is a very nice city, by the way. We have a nice palace. We have very young people, cultured pubs and stuff. So um, you'll see if you <laughs> if you visit next year how it goes. Um, and apparently, people from all over the country travel to to attend the conference, which I think it was. Uh, I mean, the pandemic, before the pandemic, if I ever reached out to someone, you know, we're doing this, come join us. They were like, yeah, you know, if it this would be in Bucharest, maybe. Uh, and after the pandemic, everyone was, okay, no, I'm going to fly there. <laughs> so, and they're taking yeah. this as an adventure. Yeah. Yeah. And friend of the show, Layla. Uh, yeah. Good thanks friend for joining us. <laughs> also says it's a lovely city. So. Confirmed. It's amazing. You got to be there. Don't forget to sign up. <laughs> also, hi, Layla. Good to see you again. So, uh, I mean, we're, we're talking, we're chatting a little bit before the show, and you mentioned you just had a big rewrite to your website. Oh, yeah. That was major, <laughs> <laughs> but not as hard as I imagine it would be. Yeah. Still a little PTSD from that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I'm, I'm so thankful that I really did it forced by Providence. <laughs> yeah. I basically decided at the moment that, you know what? I have this uh, free thingy on a uh, cloud provider. I said, okay, I'm going to move from my local hosting uh, provider that took me, I don't know, 10 euros per month to host my blog. I'm going to move it in my <laughs> in my account in um, in cloud created their uh, a, a WordPress app, configured it, moved everything, let it run, moved the DNS in Cloudflare. Cool. One month after it, I had a major spike in traffic. Hell no, if I know what happened. But all my pages <laughs> were returning 401. And I said, no, 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 no. I'm going to try and fix it. Of course, I couldn't fix it. But thankfully, I had my backups. And I managed to restore in another instance of WordPress in the same cloud provider. And I said, no, 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 I cannot have my blog down, but also pay money, good money on running that WordPress instance. So I said, okay, <laughs> this is the time, <laughs> you know, this is the time I'm going to transition to static web pages. So I took a tool that I found that I found online, uh, served the, the pages that I have the blog posts. I obtained the markdown files and then I spin up uh, 11T instance and I started to configure everything, move some styling because I really liked how my blog looked like because I even configured some CSS there. So I had to start from scratch. I had to learn 11T to see how it uh, works. And in the end, uh, I had, I made a good choice, forced choice. <laughs> it was a good choice. <laughs> And it has everything yeah. that WordPress had for me because I basically I just wrote blog posts or saved drafts. <laughs> I, I I've been very good at saving drafts and leave leave those there. <laughs> I, so it was like a spark. Oh, this could make a good article. I'm gonna start. Write the title, even a few words, and then save draft. Leave leave it there to die. So. <laughs> I have around but, but, 50 art drafts with only the title. But I remember, yeah, there was that time when this could have been a good blog post. 
Nope. <laughs> Three years after the initial idea, it's not good anymore. <laughs> it's everything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, so lesson learned. Whenever I have an idea, I'm just going to write it down and publish it because that's how it works. Not leave it in draft because I'm not never going to go and publish it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it looks like you're not alone. I mean, I, I have unpublished, unwritten drafts myself. And uh, Russ Regas in the comments is saying, I'm glad I'm not the only one with loads of unpublished oh, yeah. drafts left. We should make so, the yeah, club of the ones that only publish drafts. <laughs> I think this is the untold story. This is the untold story about writing blog posts. You have one blog post for probably 20 unpublished drafts. Well, something oh, yeah. like, oh, yeah. like this. Oh, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> that's the percentage <laughs> of posts that really see the light of day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's. Uh, and it was getting back to 11D, it was a very nice transition, transition because it really uh, gave me the speed that WordPress didn't give me. So. WordPress, it has its own chunk of market. But then for us, if we want to write in Markdown and publish it fast using GitHub, because all of us <laughs> use GitHub, I suppose, uh, then a static web website really does a trick. In some cloud providers, uh, you even have a free tier for hosting those. So it's not really <laughs> a big or a major uh, change. So. Only some CSS <laughs> to it's, style it. Man, yeah, that's something I've I've kind of had on my to do list for years because I use uh, I use Ghost for my my blogging platform mm -hmm. and you know, it's great, no complaints. Uh, even their support's been incredible. There was like a I use a template and Ghost updated something and it broke something in my template, but then they just went in and fixed it. Like they rewrote some of the code on just my website and like, hey, just FYI, this broke, but we fixed it for you. So no complaints, but yeah, you know, I'm paying uh, 300, 350 bucks a year uh, to host it through them, which is fine, but like, I don't make any money off my website. <laughs> so yeah, I think someday too, uh, like you, you know, I'll need that, I'll need that push, that shove, that I hope you won't get the same push that I, I did. To... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but that was a hard push. <laughs> Like like once a year when that, that credit card bill comes in, it's like, oh, it's right. I still pay that money, huh? I should move that someday. And then I forget about it for another 364 days. <laughs> but we'll see. Let me sounds cool. I, I've never I've never used that before. So I'll have to check it out. It's a different way of doing things. And I really enjoyed uh, the, old, the whole process of migrating. <laughs> so basically, I saved my content. Apparently, people still read my content, so uh, I, it's a good thing that I managed to save some of them. I lost a few uh, posts, but that's fine. So um, it it even allows you to create by hand all the uh, SOA things, like make sure a CEO, sorry, Google will index your pages. Google will note, <laughs> notice that some of your pages disappeared. So basically, this is how I realized something is wrong with my uh, my web, my blog post. <laughs> yeah, you know, you have some thing that returns the photo one. I said, "Wow, I never touched it." I mean, you look how often I publish. <laughs> I didn't touch it. <laughs> so uh, that's how I realized the Google console uh, emailed me. Hey, wrong. Hello. 
help us here. Everything disappears. <laughs> and then I had to ask them to re recrawl my site. So yeah, now it's up and running, hopefully for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking, yeah, we could go full circle and you could write an app using Bedrock to take those half written, even just, I only wrote the title of this blog post, but never wrote any text and say, Hey, write this for me. <laughs> and just, just see what happens. Don't uh, give me ideas. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking. No, I'm joking. Because I realized that at the moment I was using my blog just to keep some notes for me. Like I was working on something and I realized this has an issue. Oh, managed to fix the issue that no, I'm going to write a blog post for it because I'm surely going to return to it later and it will be the same problem. So <laughs> like um, my own documentation. So I use that for a while. <laughs> a personal stack overflow. Exactly. It works for the scenarios that I encountered and I keep encountering apparently. Really worked. Yep. <laughs> so but true. Keep... I, yeah, I do the same. Uh, it's like anytime, like if I hit a problem and I Google for it, and the top answer, top result on Google solves it, great. But then if I can't find anything, then it's like, okay, this deserves a blog post. And sure enough, like it's same. I, I go back and reference that all the time. Like, how did I do that again? Like, oh, I wrote it down. <laughs> I know where to find it. For example, I worked with a with a customer that has a really old system, and they used Nlog, I think, to log things in a database somewhere with a specific format of everything. And once we deployed the app, something was they had like um, they had no cloud; everything was on pro on premise. So whenever we managed to deploy the huge app. Nothing worked. We had no logs. He said, okay. You see, <laughs> database connection things, certificates, whatevers. Uh, so what I did was to log in two places at once in a file system to be able to tell what is going on. And in the database, in the good case that um, the database could be open. So uh, I use Anlo for that. And I said, hmm, this is a nice scenario. So you have the same configuration. You're using the same system, but you log at the same time in two places. And maybe you're lucky enough to see a log somewhere in the file system. <laughs> so I started a, a draft that ended up in being a title and a few words. And it stayed that way. <laughs> but it was really cool. I mean, at that moment, two places at once. And whoever uses databases to keep logs uh, with specific formats, it was very strange. I mean, I've seen it before because that was the way of doing things before, but not with modern apps. So, yep. Yeah, like we, we've had a couple guests on the show who would probably be having a heart attack right now <laughs> if they heard about this. <laughs> yeah, but I want to make something very clear. They weren't like logging just a few. They were using that um, log for tracing, basically, because every single line was log this. I'm I'm here. I'm going to start the method call. I'm going to end the method call and stuff like that. Wow. It was nuts what it was there. Yeah. It was a debugging session in log. Exactly. In production. <laughs> 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 With analog. Yeah. I was just thinking, I was like, won't the stack trace have all that information? Like, 
Do you need to log it? But well, that's fair. <laughs> some people wanted to leave traces. I'm here. I'm here now. I'm not here now. <laughs> and log that into the database. Okay. It was crazy. I mean, the, like, the performance <laughs> penalty was huge for that. Just for... Oh, goodness. I bet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I will say, to be fair, because, um, you know, I, I do uh, mobile apps, so I'm not uh, a huge, hugely knowledgeable on website stuff. But like in mobile apps, yeah, we'll leave, we'll call it like breadcrumbs around the app. So like if you use this feature, you tap this button, I'll record that as an event. And, you know, it's, it's super anonymous. I never collect any user data. I'm not trying to mine data or anything like crazy like that. It's just, I can now go and look at my, my logging tools to see like, oh, is anybody even using this feature? Like it's been out for two months now and only one person's tapped the button. Well, maybe I need to make the button bigger or a different color or red or move its position or something like, so you can, you know, what's, what's really going on. And also like, should I invest more time in this if nobody's using it? I spent two months building this feature. Nobody wants it, apparently. <laughs> oh, goodness. So, uh, I really, you have done something I think is incredible that I don't think I can ever do because I'm, I'm not as disciplined as you to steal, steal Layla's words. But um, you wrote a book. You have a, a web API book. Yes, I have a web, <laughs> API. I have a web API book. Yeah. So, so is, it, is it the Never say never, Brandon. That's rock. all I'm saying. Never say never. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, in my spare time, so after work and on the Saturday, Saturdays, I'm teaching .NET to people that want to get into IT. So I'm basically the teacher at the bootcamp that teaches people uh, .NET development, C-sharp, and web notions. So I realized in the past eight years doing this that I have a tendency of repeating things and the students are concerned about the same things. So um, I realized that, hey, maybe this can be useful for some other people. So I decided to propose a book to, to A-Press. To be fair, A-Press reached out to me a few years before, but I didn't say yes back then. And then I made this book proposal, Web API and .NET Web Notions, that I really hope it will help people understand the basics of web, the basics of working with Web API, just to have like a, a foundation of web in .NET that could help them build upon. So um, that's the book. <laughs> this is the book, basically. Me uh, taking... See, I'm very selfish, apparently. I wrote this book to also have it as support for my students, but this book could also help people that want to, to learn .NET and learn web notions. It's strange for me. Um, in my current company... I still find people, junior developers, that don't know fundamental web notions. And across my experience years, uh, I found uh, these patterns. Okay, what is a query string? Why would you use query strings and stuff like that? So I realized there is a lack. Yeah, yeah. What uh, What is a query string and why would you use a query string? <laughs> 
to get different representations of the same resources, variations of a, of a resource or REST API. So I RESTful APIs, actually. I, I remember when I started in computer science, we were talking about web, what it, what it is, and REST. And it was such a black box back then, REST. <sighs> Scary. <laughs> <laughs> And, and when I started working as a junior developer, there was this um, trend, at least around where I'm living, that if you want to create a resource or update a resource, you use post because you have the ID which is nullable. And if you have a value for that, <laughs> then you add it. But if you have no value, so it's null, then you might create a new resource. So that was the pattern, even with MVC. That's how things were done back then. <laughs> so there was no clear understanding about verbs and why would you use the right verb with the right operation. So sometimes that's still the case. <laughs> it worked. It worked. <laughs> so and those, those APIs, those APIs where you get a two hundred back, but then there's an error message inside. Yeah. Oh yeah. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> it still happens it still happens and it happens in enterprise um world so corporate world where you develop big apps and stuff like that people are not concerned about uh, or let's say people are concerned about developing new features than really applying some principles create new endpoints yeah. whatever i know which are the endpoints <laughs> api slash whatever create new why doesn't matter. <laughs> so I've seen it way too often to to not care about this. So I even had a few talks around REST APIs or how you at least consider your um, endpoints and verbs and stuff like that. People are not caring about that <laughs> nowadays because there are things oh, more no. important. Yeah. Well, and so I'm super interested because... You're you're clearly an expert. I mean, you wrote a book on it, and uh, by the way, the title is "Web API Development for the Absolute Beginner." So make sure to check that out. You can find it on Amazon.com. But uh, Francois, I know you also you have a conference talk um, that you've been doing lately on REST and gRPC. Uh, so I'm curious how, how how do you recommend those? And we have Irina with us, the expert in the room. Um, so also curious on your opinion as well, but Francois, I'll kick it over to you. What do you, what do you think? Um, I would, uh, my, my thought on this is exactly, I, I share, uh, Irina's vision. There is a lack of knowledge on, okay, you have several technology and, uh, I include myself. I've, I've built REST API for years in .NET because Visual Studio, New project, web API, and that's it. And, <laughs> and one day I, I've discovered GraphQL API, and I was, oh my god, that's really cool. And I've used uh, Strawberry Check uh, libraries from um, from Chili Cream and, and Michael. Uh, so it, it is really, it it was a revelation. Like, okay, maybe I should have use this uh, before another project. And that's exactly why uh, I've created this this conference talk about 
REST, uh, GraphQL, gRPC, and even Signaler, um, for which use case? Because I think it's all about, okay, what do you want to build? Uh, of and course, how many, how much flexibility you want to give? Yes. Uh, mm. Of course, REST REST is very popular. Uh, it's probably the, uh, I would say the the default from yeah, the default. <laughs> is, <laughs> but for example, uh, GraphQL, you, you you give your uh, API consumer a lot of flexibility on the data they can request. Okay, uh, maybe you have a large data graph, but I just want a few properties, so I don't. I'm building a mobile app. I don't want to retrieve that many data. I just want two properties. Let me just request those two, two properties. And maybe another consumer is building a web app or a desktop app, and they want to display much more data. So they want to request the same API, but they want to ask more properties. And GraphQL will uh, helps you to build this flexible API. So, and of course, you have also gRPC and Irina, you have awesome workshop on gRPC and awesome talk on gRPC. So I won't, won't speak That's about That's what I'm pre preaching lately, <laughs> <laughs> gRPC. <laughs> yeah, you know, I also uh, talked about GraphQL when I first encountered it and it was like a revelation for me too. So, oh, look, that amount of flexibility. But some uh, bad people could say that Michael will kill me <laughs> if he's going to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love what he does. And I love Chili Cream as a library and GraphQL in general, if you have the right scenario for it. I think that's <laughs> the pattern that you should like repeat to yourself. Do I have the right scenario for using this? So the same happens with... Um, what I wanted to say was that, you know, you can fix the overfetching and underfetching issue by constantly designing your API, which would never happen because it's too much work <laughs> into, you know, implementing like, the... That seems like a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> GraphQL would do it out of the box without you doing, moving a finger. So uh, getting back to gRPC, it's the thing, it's the technology that I'm talking about lately, and I also do a workshop, um, it's another tool in our tool belt. So I often hear people saying, hey, is gRPC better than the rest? So No, it's not a versus who battle. <laughs> it's just another tool that you know need to know how to use. Yeah, so what is what is one scenario for maybe folks who don't know or never heard of gRPC? Like, why... Why and when and where should they choose that over REST or over GraphQL? So microservices architectures, it's one like the go-to scenario. You have that, you might as well have a scenario where gRPC fits because you might have um, APIs that need to get data from one side to another. So you need to call an API to get some data that you would use. So downstream APIs, if you have APIs that are not public facing and you only call them from inside your systems, well, that is a good scenario for gRPC. Simply as that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the first thing. <laughs> so if you have that, give it a try. There are many, of course, because the serialization uh, method is different. It uses binary serialization, which makes it faster. Uh, it has smaller payloads, which... It, 
actually <laughs> end up a new transferring less data over the network. So scenarios where you band, the bandwidth is limited for mobile apps, for example. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> whole world and, of possibilities. And, <laughs> and streaming as well. Streaming and streaming well, as well. Because it's built in. in it's in, built in. in. Do, do, do a protocol version that is upgraded. So it uses HTTP2 by default. So if you're, you cannot have a system that works on HTTP2 because of, I don't know, reasons, you cannot use gRPC. This yeah. is the, the way protocol works. RESA have never, has never been designed for streaming. You, you can use WebSocket or other protocol to implement side-by-side -side with your REST API, but it's not by design in, uh, in the REST uh, architecture, so. Yeah, so gRPC, it has four types of methods or four types of calls that you can make. The one that is named Unary, where you simply request something, the gRPC server will respond. Uh, the second one is client streaming. So the client can send several chunks of data to the server in the same TCP um, connection. Uh, and the server will respond in one thing back. The reverse, where the server can send several chunks of data to the client and the client will only make a request. And the, combine, <laughs> the combination of the previous two, bidirectional. So server client is streaming, server is streaming, and everything happens inside the same TCP connection. So I think it's it's very powerful in some very specific cases, like, I don't know, uploading things. You can upload things in chunks over the gRPC connection. Or, I don't know, gather things from different sensors for talking IoT. Yeah, very cool. Because my limited understanding is... Yeah, gRPC is faster, it's more efficient, like you mentioned, than REST, um, but it's not as easily discoverable. Is that accurate? Yeah, it is accurate. Um, in gRPC, you have a different way of handling things. If in REST you're calling endpoints, in gRPC you're calling methods. And the common ground between your consumer of the gRPC server and the gRPC server itself it's one special file name uh, written in a, spe a special language named protocol buffers, which is, it will make your um, gRPC service language agnostic. So if you have that file, you can run the protocol buffers compiler to obtain code in C Sharp, Java, Go, Rust, I think, C++. So it's, it's perfect for when you have polyglot environments or wannabe polyglot environments. So as long as you have the contract, the consumer will know what to call. And as long as the server exposes this contract, yeah, everyone will know <laughs> what is available. Gotcha. So there is, is no... This, that's the documentation, this basically. This is the protobuf? Yes. Like I, I always hear things about protobuf. This is what it is. Very and cool. the file that you so, carry around between the inter the common ground between the consumer and the server is that protocol buffers file, a special file with the extension proto <laughs> that in which you expose your types, service operations, services that gets compiled and it gets you code in whatever language you need, which makes it awesome. That's cool. <laughs> Not, yeah. Is there 
Is there a danger, danger in a danger in sharing um, that file? So, you mentioned earlier, um, you know, if you have a lot of internal APIs that I've got servers talking to servers, um, highly recommend using this for. But is one of the reasons why we don't use this more and REST and GraphQL are much much more the default for public APIs is is this contract and that maybe you wouldn't. Maybe a company wouldn't want to share this contract because there's sensitive information. I don't know. It's, what's what's the deal with the contract? <laughs> Basically, we couldn't share the, this public contract to be consuming in browser because it's, browser don't support this yet. So you cannot have like end-to-end communication from a browser to a gRPC server. There are tools like gRPC transcoding, gRPC web that translate uh, HTTP one requests to gRPC, which works on HTTP2. Getting back, I wanted just to make this parenthesis to, to make sure that people understand you cannot use a browser to make a gRPC request. <laughs> like <laughs> When it comes to publicly expo- exposing these protocol files, I don't see any danger in it. Like there's a fly, uh, there's this file traveling around. The danger that I see is people abusing it, changing it, and let's say having copies of it. I also have seen that people making a copy of this contract and pass it in around different projects. And they end up having several protocol files and no one, <laughs> any any file is the, the, the source of truth. You have to have only one single source of truth, one protocol file that is known to every other service, consumer and so on. So that's the danger gotcha. that I <laughs> that I see. <laughs> <laughs> got it, got it. So, uh, Ari, we somehow almost reached the end of the show. It feels like it flew by. We've only got a couple yep. minutes left. Um, so, for people who want to learn more about about this stuff, uh, obviously buy the book. Uh, check out uh, Web API Development for Absolute Beginners. That's the title of the book. Um, but where where can they follow you? Where, where can they stay up to date and join the conversation? They can follow me on Twitter. I answer to DMs. They can follow me and subscribe on my blog to a newsletter. I promise in the, in the future, I will transform those drafts into actual articles <laughs> to publish. And of course, on LinkedIn, I'm there. And of course, they can see me on different conferences. <laughs> Leila said, buy the book, it's great. Leila was actually the technical reviewer. I dragged her <laughs> into this. <laughs> <laughs> no way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what, what, what Thank are you so next... much for your service, Leila. <laughs> <laughs> what are your next conferences, uh, Irina? Where, where we can you meet you? So my next conference, I think, will be at .NET Developer Days in Poland. And then I will be in Bulgaria at Progress Conference, DevRich. And update conference in November, I think, in Prague. So I think this is cool. it for the year. <laughs> I'm wrapping up a, my... Uh, this, I had a good year. Oh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> my goodness. Well, thanks so much for... Carving time out of your busy schedule. I can't believe you're going to 
three different countries in just the next couple of weeks. <laughs> so make, make sure you go find, find Irina at the next conference. Come say hi, buy her book, check out the website. Uh, Irina.codes is Irina's website where you can find her. And by the way, I'm super jealous. I didn't realize .codes was a thing. And now I kind of want to buy one. So <laughs> thanks for that. <laughs> so you want to increase your domain name I'm going to own? <laughs> so I'm not the only one. 50 domain names. Oh, yeah. And only use one of them. But such is the life, right? Well, yeah, never know. Well, Arena, thanks so much. <laughs> thanks again so much for joining us. And, and thank you. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to... Uh, subscribe to the channel so you don't miss a show. We're back here on the first and third Mondays of every month. And you can actually find us online as an audio podcast now. We we now publish every episode, including our entire back catalog uh, as a podcast. So check out the .NET on AWS show in your podcast feeds. Give it a five-star review. Give us a, uh, Give us a rating. Help other people find it. Thanks so much for joining us and we'll see you in two weeks. Thank you.